This podcast includes examples and does not guarantee identical outcomes. First Financial Bank does not guarantee loan approval, rates, or terms. Each situation must be evaluated separately. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. First Financial Bank is one of the nation's leading small business lenders, originating nearly $400 million in pharmacy loans. Their lending team has over 75 years of pharmacy experience and includes pharmacists as well as current and former pharmacy owners. They have the industry-specific expertise and knowledge to help you finance your pharmacy. First Financial was approved to offer small business administration loan products under SBA's preferred lender program and offer financing solutions to help practicing pharmacists meet a wide range of business needs, such as acquisition, equipment financing, expansion and remodeling, business refinancing, and startups. Learn more at ffb1.com. That's ffb1.com. Member FDIC. Operating an independent community pharmacy is challenging. Inventory strategies, financial expertise, employment management, and understanding your pharmacy's key performance indicators can make all the difference in your business's success and sustainability within your community. This is Pharmacy Insiders with Bob Grohl. Pharmacy Insiders is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pharmacy Insiders. Excited we have uh, two guests today. First off, we have David George, uh, an owner of Total Dose Pharmacies. David, do you want to say a few words about uh, what what you do? Sure. Thanks for having me, Bob. My name is David George. I'm a co-owner of Total Dose Pharmacies. Uh, We started out in Oklahoma with a couple locations and just managed to spread to some nearby states. Uh, Most of our locations are hybrid pharmacies, meaning we do some retail, some compounding, offer delivery services and disease state consultations and wellness products. And just this past year, probably because of COVID, we started doing some point of care testing. Great. Thanks. Uh, Drew, uh, we have Drew Hegai also with us uh, from First Financial Bank. Drew? Yeah, my name is Drew Hegai. I am a loan officer for First Financial Bank and our pharmacy lending division. And we work solely with uh, community pharmacies and independent pharmacy owners, helping them obtain the needed financing to uh, start pharmacies, buy existing pharmacies, expand um, their footprints of stores. We do that primarily through SBA lending, where we're preferred SBA lender. And I'm based in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, and the, we operate in all 50 states nationwide with our pharmacy lending division. Thanks, Drew. Um, I'm going to start this off with uh, Pharmacy Times uh, in March had an article entitled uh, Entrepreneurs Pitch Their Innovations for Independent Pharmacies at APHA 2022. Uh, My opinion is, having been in the industry for about 50 years, is that innovation is really what drives independent community pharmacy and keeps it successful going forward. Um, 
David, you want to talk a little bit about innovation in your space and, and how you uh, developed it and how you handle it and maybe some challenges to it. Yeah, sure, Bob. I think uh, innovation is key. If, if you're not doing something to innovate your store or to improve it, you're going to be behind the times. So I tell all of my staff to be flexible, be ready for change, be ready to adapt to new things that are coming down the pipeline. So sometimes that technology could be, or that innovation could be technology that makes your job easier to do. So something that makes you more efficient because we all know time is money. So efficiency is key when we're trying to uh, make the most out of our time in the pharmacy and to keep our store sustainable. And, and what have you done from an uh, innovative standpoint, other than, you know, the standard dispensing functions? Um, what, what else are you doing that's, uh, that's new and different? So our probably our biggest innovation this past year has been point of care testing. So that came because of COVID. So most pharmacies administered the COVID vaccine, but we went a step further and did COVID testing. So whether that's antigen testing or PCR testing, we did both in all of our stores in Oklahoma. And uh, again, it was just a huge uh, service that everyone had to learn something totally new. But again, having the ability to do it, having the technology to bill it, uh, getting all supplies to manage a service like that was important. So we had to work all of that out logistically in order to provide that service for our patients. Oh, that's great. Now, how are you handling um, doing these things from a staffing standpoint? Aren't you already too busy to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the main problems in pharmacy is we do everything, right? And pharmacists, when you work in the bench, you're checking hundreds of scripts a day. You're counseling, you know, scores of patients. So how do you manage a new service? Um well, we realized real quick that we didn't have the bandwidth as owners, co-owners, and pharmacists. So one of the things we did in the past year and a half was start a residency program. And having that resident has been huge for us because he literally started our point of care testing program from scratch. He created it. He figured out how to obtain supplies. He figured out how to bill for it. And then he went to each of our locations in Oklahoma and taught our staff how to do it. Was there some accreditation you had to go through for that or did you just start it? No, the, the main thing you had to get was your CLIA waiver. So once you obtain that, as long as all of your locations were certified to immunize, you're good to go. Oh, good. Okay. Drew, I know you own a couple of uh, pharmacies outside of uh, your work with a bank. Um, I don't think they're uh, your standard um, um, lick stick and poor pharmacies uh, uh, from what I understand. Uh, yours are what I would call innovative. You want to say a few words about what you do? Yeah, we do. Um, so I have two partners. And of course, I'm a, one of the owners, but I'm a silent partner in all the all the pharmacies that we own. We do have a community retail pharmacy that is your lick stick and dispense. Uh, we don't do anything innovative. I wish we did. Um, we have a decent front end section that we sell some gift items. And then we uh, just try to do a really, really good job uh, handling prescriptions for uh, patients in our area. And part of it, it's just been, we've been growing and, and adding patients, getting transfers and the staff just hasn't had a whole lot of extra time to add any innovation. Uh, but we're, we're trending nicely that that business, the retail pharmacy is three years old. Uh, but we've had for the past eight years, a home infusion uh, specialty pharmacy. And I, I would, I would 
say that pharmacy does have um, some innovative qualities to it. We added an infusion center um, probably about a year and a half ago. And that really has done well and given patients uh, an alternate site to get their infusions as opposed to going to the outpatient infusion center at the local hospital um, in Jackson. And so a lot of times those infusion centers uh, in acute hospital hospital settings, it's very institutionalized. It's, you know, big open room, many patients uh, all, you know, crammed in there right beside each other. Um, you kind of have to park a long ways away in a parking garage here. You can, at our space, you can pull right up to the front door. Um, you're greeted. You're taken back to a private room. You have a TV. You have a heated infusion chair. Uh, you get nurses taking care of you. Um, you know, throughout your the, the length of your infusion. And so it's a very different experience. So I would describe that as, as somewhat innovative. Uh, through COVID, it's, it's really done well because a lot of patients weren't overly excited about going to the hospital if they uh, are immunocompromised or, um, you know, had an alternative. They certainly were going to take advantage of that. And so that's been a good addition to our, our home infusion pharmacy. Well, thanks. And, and, you know, for my way of thinking, having been around for 50 years, just having an infusion pharmacy is innovative for me, but um, uh, you may Not think something you hear about uh, every day. That's right. No, you may think it is standard, but uh, I don't. So uh, David, let's talk a little bit about that. You, you touched on the, uh, on the fact that you do testing as well as, uh, as well as um, providing the um, vaccine. Um, what were the lasting effects of COVID? Uh, what, what have you seen from that? So COVID, this past year has been one of the best years for our business. So I've been doing it for eight years. All of a sudden this pandemic happened and pharmacy had an opportunity to jump up and, and do something different. Uh, many states that weren't certified to immunize, like I think New York, all of a sudden became certified to immunize and everyone is giving or providing the, the COVID vaccine. So something like that has been great. Uh, for many reasons, the pharmacies performed better. We didn't have to buy product, so it was provided by the government. Um, so as far as cost of goods, it's easier to manage. We provided, we were able to bill for it, and we received income for it. So I would say that we got to reap the benefits of giving the COVID vaccine. Um, I also believe the communities got to benefit, right? We got to take care of everyone, help protect them. And so you get this gratification. It was truly rewarding as a pharmacy uh, to do that for the community. Now, on the other hand of it, now that we've shown that we can do it, we've proven it, now the public is expecting it, I think. So sometimes you get a call, hey, your pharmacy provided COVID vaccine, can you do X, Y, Z, right? So you're getting all these questions and fielding uh, uh, just inquiries from, from patients. So we're trying our best to step up the plate and, and keep up with it. I think we have an opportunity if we ride the wave, keep up the momentum to use this to, uh, for future opportunities. First Financial Bank is one of the nation's leading small business lenders, originating nearly 400 million in pharmacy loans. Their lending team has over 75 years of pharmacy experience and includes pharmacists, current and former pharmacy owners. They have the industry-specific expertise and knowledge to help you finance your pharmacy. Learn more at ffb1.com. That's ffb1.com. And so that's definitely a cash flow stream that you hadn't expected. Definitely. And, and you know, there's a broad range of vac vaccinations. I know 
Um, we did in one of our stores travel clinics um, for people that were going abroad that needed the injections. Worked hand in hand with a doctor to uh, to do that. So, yeah, we got a lot of opportunity there. What about uh, some challenges? Um, I, I know um, uh, determining your cost of goods must be a little bit challenging with DIR fees. Yeah. So, you know, DIR fees, you know, they popped up, what, five, six, seven years ago out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you know, you, your cash flow is tight and, and you wonder what to do as, as, a, as a pharmacy, a pharmacy owner. Um, you have to monitor it. So as of right now, they're not going away. So if you're a pharmacy owner, you've got to figure out how to temper those situations. Um, I, I don't think there's a, a clear cut way to, to monitor it because it's not as transparent as it should be. So I, I try to train my employees, my managers to just keep track of collection time. So you used to be able to look at your pharmacy income statement on a on a month to month basis. But now we're taking wider snapshots to see truly how profitable or um, how much of a hit we're taking on a month to month basis. So luckily, there is some, you know, information on collection time. And we try to give our managers and co-owners a heads up. So, okay, let's watch spending. DIR fees are about to come out. Um, let's try to make sure that we have cash in the coffers to cover ourselves. Now, you know, there are things that we can do to try to alleviate ourselves from DIR fees, right? By keeping up with star ratings and uh, doing other quality-based uh, services to help those measures. But, you know, it's always still a penalty system. You know, my hope is one day that this quality-based system will truly be an incentive-based system instead of having a reduced penalty. So, so a lot of that is driven by your contracts. Um, do you manage those contracts yourself? We do not. Right now we are using a PSAO. And, you know, that is supposed to help because, you know, there's power in numbers, right? Uh, but there are also sneaky ways for PBMs to take other fees, whether it's, you know, the DIRs or the BERs and GERs that are out there. So our, our team goes back and forth on whether or not we should direct contract. Uh, we've heard that there can be benefits to that. So, so now that you're in a PSAO, do you review any of the contracts yourself now to know what uh what pitfalls may be built into them and, and how difficult is that? That's got to be a lengthy process going through a contract like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we have some leeway, even though we're part of a PSAO. Uh, many times uh, we'll get information on, hey, here's a certain plan that everyone can sign up for or not. And, and they try to break it down, provide a summary for us. And as partners, we go over that and say, okay, this may be beneficial to join or, wow, this contract is horrible we definitely don't want to sign that one so there is some flex in that bob but um it's still difficult to understand you know contracting you know for me being a pharmacist uh, i would say yes i'm a business owner but reading those contracts is a different language for me so uh, having those summaries help uh, that is one of the fears i have about direct contracting and trying to make sure that i am reviewing everything uh to the t and, and the star ratings, how are you holding up with those? Are you are you meeting the criteria fairly well or is it difficult? And do you, have you seen any reward from it or is it typically truly just punitive? It is truly difficult. Uh, you know, managing, uh, managing MTMs at, at the store level can be 
uh, hard on a pharmacist who is working the bench on a daily basis. Uh, so in the past eight years, we, we have not been very successful until this past year when we did hire our resident. So sure, he has been helpful in implementing new services, but one of the tasks we, we gave him was to improve our, our MTM completion rate. And for the first time in eight years, we, we completed them all or did a great job on them. So hopefully we'll see that reward this next year during collection time. But again, it's a wait and see approach. All right, thanks. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, you being an owner and and getting into that uh, first store, I guess. Um, I know you've expanded to about six stores, I believe now. Um, but uh, when you were buying that first store, um, you probably didn't have the money in your pocket to buy it. So I assume you uh, went out and, and uh, borrowed it. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that process you went through and and how how you ended up borrowing from uh, working with Drew and and borrowing uh, uh, taking out an SBA loan with uh, First Financial Bank? Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, you know, when I was in pharmacy school, I took a business uh, ownership class, and in that class, you know, you you create a business plan, and all you do is you see numbers on paper, right? It looks really nice, uh, but you don't really know what that feels like what it is to borrow, you know, let's say a million dollars. And it's just numbers on a paper until you go to sign for something or try to sign for something and it doesn't happen. And what I mean by that is uh, there have been multiple pharmacy loans that I've tried and have been denied. So one that is frustrating uh, when you're trying to get a business deal going, you have delays. So making sure you get the right bank on board is critical to successful business transa transaction. So uh, I just was happening to, it was actually our second pharmacy to purchase it. It was an acquisition and we had been denied by two banks and I had a, an evaluator recommend Drew at First Financial. And once I reached out to Drew, I sent him the paperwork because by that time I had collected all of it. Uh, he got us going and, you know, within two or three months, we're sitting there on a deal and about to close on a pharmacy. So having someone like Drew has been huge to us because he knows what he's doing as far uh, as lending is concerned in the pharmacy space. David and his group, um, all the partners that we've had the opportunity to work with over the years are, um, I mean, you can't pick better individuals to work with and also great business minds. Um, and, and, you know, they take care of their patients, but they also take care of their, their finances and their paperwork and their bookkeeping and their organization. And they're on top of it. So anything that I ever asked of them, uh, they've always been um, very quick to, to provide it. And, you know, when we first got introduced, um, you know, they were all organized and ready to go. And, and really, we've had a great working relationship over the last five, six years. Uh, hopefully we've been there every time they've wanted to expand and um, they've been great customers and, um, you know, hopefully we can take them from the six stores that they're at right now to, what do you think, Dave, double digits, David, maybe one day? It depends on who you ask. I mean, you ask Clark and, you, you know, there is no number, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's difficult. I mean, talk about a little bit about multi-store ownership and working with a number of, um, I guess, partners, but also just managers too. You got to have the right people to manage the stores that you acquire. And how do you find those people and how does 
that residency program that you guys established, does, does that play a role in that? Yeah, for sure. So one, it's not easy. You know, people um, is the most difficult part of doing any job, whether that's your staff in your pharmacy or managers in other stores. So a couple of things that we have done um, is create the residency program. So our current resident will finish in June and he is going to be our PIC in the new location that we acquire this summer. So that's kind of been a pipeline for us. It's, it's really great. And I hope you know future residents would consider that uh, as they come through our program. Uh, but managing uh, managers in different locations is difficult, especially if I'm trying to work the bench. So one of the things that we've done in the past two years is create a central office. And having a central office is nice when I get to sit in there and do payroll or whatever other HR duties and pay bills. But it's also nice that all the other partners can show up once a week and we can strategize on what to do moving forward. Um, one of the things uh, as far as managing managers in that process is uh, we created a retreat. So every year we go on a retreat and we bring our managers and sure, it's nice to get together and have fun and catch up. But we also have a detailed agenda to go over uh, pain points uh, for them to share their successes and maybe that stuff we can bring to our locations, um, new training models for services. So the, again, those retreats are huge because we're all so busy and it, we all get to escape from the pharmacy and spend two or three days and really work on things. Yeah, that's well, basically, awesome. Basically, you come up with a strategic plan. Uh, that's a strategic planning session uh, is what, what, what it would boil down to. Exactly. Uh, I think that, that, that is terrific. Um, talking about um, your experience, Drew, uh, could you just elaborate just a touch on the importance of working with a bank that understands the SBA? I think uh, David appreciates the fact that you knew what you were doing, but you might uh, elaborate on that and, and the, the preferred lender status. Yeah, there are a couple things there. The preferred lending lender status that we have with SBA is really valuable. Um, what it basically means is that we've done enough SBA loans over the course of our bank's history, and we have the underwriting in place that SBA trusts us to approve loans and close loans uh, without ever necessarily involving them. We can approve it on their behalf. We can run it through our channels, which are um, compliant with uh, their SOP to make sure it's eligible. And we have basically SBA stamp of approval um, in-house to, to close those loans. So that's what a preferred SBA lender means and, and how it benefits uh, not having to send the package completely off to SBA and one of their processing centers greatly reduces the amount of, of time and energy and effort that it takes to close an SBA loan because they can be you know, somewhat difficult and lengthy in process. So being, uh, we, we can process those in-house. And then also we have our pharmacy division uh, where we have um, individuals and loan officers that all they work on is, is pharmacy loans. And so when we get a deal, we're not asking a lot of questions about, you know, why is the need for working capital so high in this, in this industry? You know, it's because of the delay and and payments coming from your, your third party payers. And you got to have, you know, 30 to 45 days worth of uh, working capital um, in your account uh, after you take over um, as you wait on those receivables to come in. You know, overall um, sales trends and the way um, prescriptions have, have gone generic, we can look at total prescriptions filled and kind of determine, you know, the trends of the business and what direction it's heading. So we can look at all that 
um, because we have the benefit of looking at it each and every day. And so the combination of our SBA expertise plus the pharmacy, you know, we go to 12 to 14 trade shows a year. So we stay on top of what's happening in the industry. Um, I think truly makes us a unique and, and, and good fit for owners that are wanting to expand. Great. That's, that's, that's a good recap, Drew. Um, I, I think the, uh, having been around um, both sides of the industry, I think uh, you have to work with a bank that understands pharmacy, the same with an accounting firm. You have to work with accounting firms that understand pharmacy. So that's really important. Uh, David, I want to jump back to uh, your multi-store, um, to Drew's questions about your multi-store uh, ownership. And that's that um, when you um, went from one store to three to four to six, um, do you see um, economies of scale? Uh, are, you, are you more um, profitable because of multi-stores at this point? Yes. And, and Bob, I think there are many ways you can look at increasing your profitability. Sure, there's buying power, but it's, it's learning from each other. So one of our stores has a huge front end and uh, is high in sales. But typically, when I think of front end for our retail pharmacies, you think maybe five to 10 percent is on front end sales. We have a store that's 25 to 30 percent of its sales are on the front end. And those margins typically are higher. So we try to take ideas from that store uh, just to make our other stores better. And I mean, you know, with how insurance payment comes in 20 to 30 to 45 or sometimes 90 days, when you're selling an over-the-counter item or front-end gift item, you're getting that reimbursement in days instead of weeks. So that helps improve cash flow. Uh, but also having multi uh, multiple locations like implementing anything, as long as you have a process, you can share that amongst all your other locations. And that's what central office has been huge for, like coming up with a process and trying to make sure that all of our locations are on board. So, so do you document that? Do you have like a standard operating procedure documents to tell yeah. people how to do it? We do. And, you know, it's not a fun item to review during the retreat, <laughs> but it's definitely something that we go back and forth on. In fact, there is an item to review tomorrow during our partner meeting. <laughs> All right. Um, let's go um, to another topic here uh, we've kind of touched on. And that's that, you know, we always talk to talk about cash flow is king. Cash is king. We all know that. Um, but um, very often you have to develop other cash flow streams. Uh, have you, do you have some and do you, have you seen other people that have interesting uh, ways to develop their cash flow? Yes. So um, one of our owners is um, trying to get her certification in functional medicine. So she really focuses on that wellness space. And a lot of that has to do with supplementation, uh, some other forms of testing and that's a huge part of our over-the-counter business or front-end business. So we see, again, that immediate sale, that immediate payment has been huge as far as our cash flow is concerned. Uh, so we want to focus on that a lot in 2022 and 2023. And hopefully we can implement wellness consultations in all of our locations. Uh, some of the other things that we're interested in and we just haven't hammered out yet is uh, weight loss consults. So I was uh, visiting with a friend at a meeting the other day, and he's recently 
started a weight loss program probably six to eight months ago. He really, really focused on it with the new year and is grossing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars per month. Now that's great because again, that's immediate payment, great for cash flow, great for business and, and rewarding because he's helping patients achieve their weight loss goals. So uh, we're, we're trying to figure out a way that we can do that in our stores. Uh, again, just to improve not only cash flow, but the services you offer to the community. And have you tried 340B at all? We have. We have a location that's currently doing that. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd love to do it in all of our locations, but it can be a bit of a contracting uh, nightmare or you just have to be in the right networks. So um, we're trying to figure out ways to get our other stores involved. But the key on that is, one, it's a service that communities absolutely need. Uh, and as long as we're managing the inventory well, you know, it can be a profitable endeavor for the pharmacy too. I know we talked earlier and, and you had diabetic shoes in a couple stores and it didn't work out. Um, can you kind of elaborate on why you don't think it worked for you and how you might, it might work for others? Yeah. So I, I think mostly for us, it was just the amount of business for that particular service or services that, that we had in certain locations. And because we didn't have a lot of business, the amount of time that maybe a staff member had on it or the amount that we could spend on goods. Um, and because we weren't buying a lot, we didn't get the best price. Uh, contracting, accreditation are also other costs that come with things like that. And because of all of those costs and the time to do it, it just wasn't a profitable endeavor. So we end up canceling those services in, in most of our locations. I think in order to make it work, one, you have to have the scale, but two, you have to get the word out. From what I've heard, you have to have a great marketer who gets those providers sending that business your way. And uh, how about anything else? Uh, I know one other question I think we can explore a little bit that I get asked all the time, you know, uh, from a finance standpoint, uh, uh, earning standpoint, but also from a psychological standpoint, going from a employee pharmacist working for somebody to being an owner, um, how difficult is that transition for you both financially and psychologically? So financially, it's not easy. Uh, when we first started, I, I didn't make a pharmacist salary and I didn't make a pharmacist salary for a couple of years. So there's a bit of sacrifice, at least in the way I did it. And the way I did it was to, to uh, have a startup from scratch with our first store. And I always tell everyone, don't do that <laughs> now that I've had the experience. So, uh, but again, even if you have an acquisition and, and Drew could tell you based on models he's seen, you probably have, there, there may be a chance you uh, take a pay cut too. And that's okay because you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but as far as psychologically, uh, I think there is a reward. One, you get to do things your way. You're not restricted to what, you know, central office for a huge chain tells you what you can and can't do. Uh, it's your place. So you get the pride of saying, this is my pharmacy and I'm going to run it my way. And I took care of that patient, that person. I build relationships with people, with the community. So that, those are all huge rewards. 
So ultimately the sacrifice is worth it. And I mean, Bob, eight years ago, when we went to open up our first location, Creative Care, I thought we would have the best little pharmacy on the corner and that's all I envisioned. All of a sudden you get wound up and you know, eight years later you have six stores. Uh, it's just amazing what kind of ride you can go on and, and what you can achieve uh, despite all of the, uh, the hardships the difficulties in in finances um, and some of the psychological battles that you endure on the way too. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point because you know if you're working for someone like a like a large chain or even a, a large independent or whatever, um, you are at the mercy of of whatever they want you to do. So so it's not easy. Um, you you may be getting paid what you think is the right amount, but um, you have no control necessarily and. Um, I know from my own experience, the pride of ownership is uh, is there. So the uh, the bumps and bruises you take along the way are worth it. For sure. Um, Drew, I, you know, I, I'm going to suck you in on this, but he mentioned uh, the difference between a startup and an acquisition. Uh, you have any advice for people on that? Yeah, I, w- I would probably say it the same way David said it. Uh, I mean, we personally, um, all of our businesses have been startups. Uh, and and they're difficult. And there's a very um, very significant amount of sacrifice that, that individuals have to make to make those successful. Um, and they last a long time. Usually, those sacrifices are not just for a couple months, for a couple years. Um, I know with our our pharmacy, our, our pharmacist, uh, my business partner, he didn't take a pharmacist salary. He didn't he didn't take a salary uh, for. <laughs> The first couple of years, so it wouldn't, he would have killed for anything. Um, so you have to. That's kind of what you sign up for um, when you do a startup. It's just you don't know how quickly you're going to grow. You don't know how long it's going to take to make ends meet. You don't know how long your money's going to last. Um, you don't know how many times you're going to have to pass the hat to get more money. Um, there's just a number of unknowns, um, but they are rewarding when you get to the other side of it and that you've built something and. Um, on the bank side, you know, of course we do most, mostly acquisitions. Um, and I think those are the safer, easier, more prudent play. Um, if you can find a store that is, is profitable and has good volume and you're sort of disciplined in what you, what you look for and what your criteria is, um, for buying stores, then you can uh, put yourself in a great situation and you can, I think there's still a, a, a decent amount of sacrifices that have to be made, but it's definitely not as many as, as starting your own um, and grinding it out from, from zero. Um, when you can walk in and have patients to, to service and take care of day one, there's, there's a lot of power in that. Um, so it's, um, well, what was the biggest, what was the biggest, I know, we, you know, with our ownership group, a lot of times we'll reminisce on stories that uh, were tough and tough times and dark days and, uh, long nights and low points, but do you, do you guys ever do that, David, and uh, with with your group? And is there one that comes to mind that that uh, was kind of your 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 lowest moment or, or biggest sacrifice? You know, I, I can think of maybe two with our first location. Uh, first one being a couple of providers closed their offices that were nearby and sending us compound business. And compound business is cash based. And again, that's huge for cash flow. So when that uh, provider with a, when that location with a couple of providers closed, we felt that immediately. 
So Bob, I put on my, my tennis shoes and became marketer at that point, you know, to try to do, go drum up some, some new business. Uh, the other one was another closing, but in this case, it was a group home. So it was something that we would do blister packaging for, and it was through uh, the state Medicaid, and they were pretty timely in their payments, you know, 14 to 20 days. So we would get paid pretty quickly, and it was pretty simple work. And then all of a sudden they closed and it was a decent volume for our business, probably 10 to 15% of our business at that time. So again, making adjustments for the unexpected, uh, going out and marketing to try to get new business is what we ended up having to do to get through those tough times. Well, I can say, uh, I can say that um, both of you demonstrate what I think um, really epitomizes independent community pharmacy and, and that's adaptability and, and the will to make it work and also the drive to help your patients. Um, you know, you're working to help the community. It's, it's not just a, um, a thing that you're driving to make money for yourself. Um, I always told our staffs that, you know, if they want to come up with a new program, don't, don't come to me telling me how we can make money. Come to me and tell me how we can help people. Because if you do it, if you look at it from that perspective, you'll make money. Um, you, you know, the finance will be there if you go at it uh, the right way. So, um, but I'm really proud of both of you. Um, yeah, you both have done a terrific job and uh, thank you today. Uh, today's been a great, uh, great podcast, great interview. And uh, I just want to thank you both. And uh, again, thank First Financial Bank for being the sponsor of this. And uh, we'll sign off and we'll see you all later. Thanks again. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Good to see you, Drew. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Insiders. To access all of the podcasts on the Pharmacy Podcast Network, visit us at pharmacypodcast.com.